Today's scripture reading is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1-6. through 6. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Well, good morning, friends. Good to be with you. Pastor Sharon here. We are talking about genuine community. And today, as you heard from that scripture that Britta read, we're going to be talking about testing the spirits. Sounds a little spooky, sounds a little strange, but we are going to be talking about it related to what John teaches us in his letter. Now, you probably have done some kind of fun things with true or false. I have have in the past some games. I saw one online this week that kind of asked some questions about whether it was something true or false and how do you determine if something's true or false. So I'm going to give you a, a little test to get you started, okay, just to warm us up. True or false example. So you can just shout it out if this is true or if this is false, okay? Here's a statement. The Statue of Liberty is a gift from France. True, true. You're right, true. Here's a really random one. Goldfish only have a memory of three seconds. True or false? False. They actually did a scientific study to say that goldfish can remember things for up to five months. Why they would study that, I have no idea, but it is false. So now you can tell your goldfish things, and they'll hold them for five months. Okay, here's another one. The Great Wall of China, it's visible from space. False. Did you know that? It's actually false. There is some signs of human activity, but they even said a Chinese astronaut who went up and wanted to see it couldn't actually see it. Okay, Brazil. Brazil's the only country in the Americas that has Portuguese as its official language. True. That is true. It is Portuguese in the Americas. Only Brazil has that. And here's one for all of you movie fans. Darth Vader famously says the line, Luke, I am your father, in The Empire Strikes Back. True or false? False. Why? She's got it. He doesn't say, Luke, I'm your father. He says, no, I am your father. Oh, I couldn't even stump her on that one. I thought that would be a a known brain. Well, there are times where it's easy or you've studied or you've read something about finding out what is true is false. And facts can be checked and verified by multiple sources. It builds our confidence, doesn't it, when we can say, oh, yeah, that is true. I know it's true. But there are other times when categories are more muddled and we're not quite as sure what the truth is. In fact, there are statements we can say on one hand and on the other hand, right? There are things that we can weigh together. And I think especially in our age of 
partisan media and questionable online stories, we have a hard time figuring out what is true and what is error. Now, this morning, I want to talk about this in terms of faith more than Goldfish or Darth Vader lines or anything like that because in the matters of faith, what is true and what is error has life and death consequences. It's not just inconsequential because if we get it wrong, it might change the whole trajectory of our lives. That's what we're talking about in this sermon series, Genuine Community. And we know that in genuine community, we want to be real with others. We want to be welcoming and loving, but it has to be based on truth. It has to be based on what is verifiable. And that's what John wrote about in this letter to the first century Christians. Now, the issues they were challenged with about orthodoxy of faith, that just means true belief about faith, They might have been different than what challenges us about truth this day. But I would still say that to build genuine community, it has to be done on solid truths. And it holds us fast when the winds of change come in our culture. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them to 1 John. We are in chapter 4. If you're um, online or you have your... uh, gather your Bible in any way, print or digital. You know, in fact, this is one way you can check out the veracity of what I'm saying. Look at the scripture yourself. Open it up. Go back to the source. You know, the early covenanters in our denomination had a phrase that they'd say to each other. When they'd be discussing something like, what's the right way to look at this? They'd say, Where is it written? Where is it written? Meaning, go back to the source and find out. And so we do that today. We do that every Sunday as we open God's Word. So make that a habit. Don't just take my word for it. Where is it written? 1 John 4, 1 through 6. In this chapter, John starts out really boldly. He's always encouraging us, dear friends, right? Dear friends, Do not believe every spirit. That's what he says. Do not believe every spirit. Now, I've heard it said that we tolerate, we become what we tolerate. We become what we tolerate. And I think John might have had some of that same thought because he he takes this warning very seriously. He would not tolerate false teaching. About Jesus. He's already described, as we've gone through this book, all these stark differences between the world and God. He talks about light and dark. He talks about love and hate. He is very clear and he will not tolerate false teaching. And we find it in the language of true and false in today's passage. We need to take it seriously. And it's true and false in relationship to spiritual beings. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is not the only spirit that is active in the world? The Holy Spirit is powerful. The Holy Spirit from God moves and acts and influences human behavior and thinking. But there are also other spirits that have that same desire to influence how we think, how we speak, how we act. They either come from God through the Spirit or they come from the deceiver Satan himself, 
who wants nothing more than to fool us and lead us astray. Because, you know, the supernatural, it's not always divine. Sometimes it's from the evil place. Now, let me just go through a few terms before we kind of unpack this a little bit. The term spirit. In some places in this passage, it has a capital S, meaning the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it has a smaller, a lowercase s. And that just means, it's in generic sense, many kinds of spirits. The term is pneuma, or where we get pneumonia or whatever, wind. The wind that is blowing. And John is saying there are different winds actually spirits that are active in the world today that try to draw us away from the way of God. And we're to test those winds in our generation, just as John did in his generation, test these spirits. What spirit is influencing you, is grabbing your attention? Is it from God or is it from another place? Now the word test isn't exams. I know school is out for a time for most of you, but... You are not getting an exam on spiritual things like answer yes or no. Test means just to look at carefully, to examine, to determine what's genuine. It, it calls us to not have sloppy thinking. We've got to be alert, mentally alert, spiritually awake. We don't settle for ignorance like I don't know what's, I don't know what's about. No, pay attention. Let's test this. Let's grow intellectually, let's grow morally, let's grow spiritually so that we can test the spirits in real ways. Because again, as I said, there are many ways to be spiritual, but not all of them are centered in the truth. Let's just think about that in our own age. You know, we've been called the postmodern age, an age where... um, truth is a little bit seen as more relative now i i'm not i don't want to slam postmodernism in all its ways because there's some wonderful things that have moved us out of this modernism but but one of the fallacies or the things that trips us up is that if it's true for you then it's true that's what postmodernism says if you think it's true well that's just fine everyone's defining their own truth I actually think we've moved past this postmodernism into kind of a place where truth itself is in question. We're kind of in a post-truth culture where it really doesn't matter the the, um, facts, the things that can follow up. It's actually, what do I feel about it? How do I feel about it? That determines what is true. Whatever feels right is right. Whatever advances my cause and makes me feel good, that is what is true. These are some of the winds of spirits that can trip us up in our culture today. And John addresses them by coming to this passage with some very clear contrasts. And we're going to look at those as we look at these passages, these verses this morning. Do you remember Pastor Mark's sermon a couple weeks ago about the counterfeit $20 bill? And he said, you can know the difference by looking at the truth and comparing it to another. You examine them closely to find out what is real and what is false. That's what John is inviting us to do again in this passage. Because I think contrast, when you have really clear contrast, it brings clarity to things. 
So we have a list of things from God and not from God. First one, right there in verse 2. If it's from God, it acknowledges Jesus' incarnation. That means that Jesus came in the flesh on this world. If it's not from God, it does not acknowledge that. That's in verse 3. For John, this is the pivotal line in the sand. And we might think, well, why is that so important? The bottom line of that test is quite simple. If you say that Jesus Christ came into the world in a body, died, rose again, then you are from God. If you just say, um, I don't think he, he was, had a physical body, you're not from God. You know, today many faiths deny that Jesus is really God. What John was facing in this time was Jesus really man. And so there was this discussion back and forth about the deity and the humanity of Jesus. And John is saying, both of those, those are truth that you need to base your life on. Because if Jesus didn't come in the flesh and die in our place and rise again, then our faith's in vain. So he's saying this is one of the key places where we contrast what's from God and what's not from God. He calls it the Spirit of God or the Spirit of the Antichrist in verse four, in verse 3. And if you remember, the term Antichrist doesn't necessarily mean just one person. Pastor Mark made it clear. Is the word Antichrist even in Revelation? Did you listen to a sermon? No, it's not even in the book of Revelation. We think it is. But Antichrist means anything that is against Christ, right? It isn't just one person. It's a thought process. It's a way of thinking. And it circulated in, in John's time, too, where it was like just the spiritual sense of who Jesus is. We just have to think about spiritual thoughts. And he's saying, no, that is the Antichrist. John also tells us that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. What is in us is from God. What is from, not from God is in the world. And we're going to unpack that a little bit in, in a little, little while later. Here's another contrast. From God, they speak the word of life. You heard Pastor Nancy, I hope, in the Kairos Kids moment, speak this very verse, John, 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. This is the word of life. And she talked about it. You see it, you touch it, you hear it. This is true. And so we speak the word of life. And the world, what's not from God, speaks from the world's viewpoint. Next contrast. I think this is kind of interesting. And I wonder if maybe John was, those that were not from God were kind of, getting a bigger audience than those that were from God. Because he reminds them, you know what, they're not going to listen to us. So if you don't have a big crowd listening to you, that does not mean you're not speaking the truth. You're going to remember that those who are from God are going to listen to the message that John was teaching. And those who are not from God are not going to listen to us. They're not going to pay attention. And then finally, this spirit of truth, a summary statement, spirit of truth and spirit of of falsehood. I just want to kind of highlight this uh, one about listening to us and not listening to us and remind ourselves that we need to be cautious if the world loves us too much. If our message just is like resonates with the whole world and everybody can jump onto it, I wonder if we're speaking the truth. Because John said they're going to 
the world's not going to listen to us. Jesus had much of the same warning to his disciples as he taught them. And on the night before, when he was going to the cross, he gave them these instructions. And I, I, you know, it's amazing it doesn't become our favorite life verse. So, you know, when people say, what's your life verse? They don't usually say this one, John 15, 19. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. We don't like to hear that the world's going to hate us, do we? But when we're truly following what God calls us to do, there are going to be places where there is a dividing line, and the world is not going to like what they hear. Now, when, I, when they use the term world, where Jesus does here and even John in this passage, it doesn't mean people, right? God loves people. He desires for people to know him. We're talking about the systems, the mindset, the viewpoints that are opposed to God. And we would say that genuine community is loving, is welcoming. But remember what Jesus said too. It, it's going to cost us. There's going to be some who hate us, who hate your message, who hate the way you live, who hate what our church says. That's... That's what Jesus said. The world might hate you. Now, it better not be hating us because of the way we don't love. If we're not loving, then the world can look at us and point. But if we're speaking to the truth of Jesus, then the world might have that response. Not listening to us, but listening to the world's viewpoint. Those are the contrasts between truth and falsehood. And the... Same warning that we see here from Jesus and from John is all through the New Testament. So it's not new to that generation, and it's fresh and new for us today too. Because Paul says it this way in in the letter to the people at Thessalonica. He says, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. It's a reminder, this, there's a balance needed in testing spiritual matters. This one says it very clearly. There are times the Holy Spirit's on the move, and we don't want to quench that. We want to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. And even prophecies. He says, don't treat prophecies with contempt. It means don't disrespect them, but test them all. Test them all. We find out who speaks for God and who does not speak for God. We do look at that with discernment and wisdom. Back in the Old Testament times, when they were testing prophecies, they had at least two ways that they test if a prophet was a true prophet or a false prophet. First of all, did what they say in a predictive way, telling what's going to happen, did it come true? If it did, that's a true prophet. The second test of a true prophet was... Do they point you to God in our day? Does it point you to Jesus or does it um, promote idolatry? Pushing and following something else other than God, worshiping something other than Jesus. So there's two tests. What you predicted come true and is it promoting God or promoting idolatry? Now lest we think that's just something that happened in the Old Testament 
or in John's day. I read a recent article in Christianity Today called Prophetic Reckoning. It's a good article and I'd recommend it to you. But it reminded me these aren't just ancient concerns. What I loved about this article is it related the humbling of some well-known leaders in the charismatic church who had prophesied about political events, including Trump's re-election, things that had not come to pass. And though there were many in this movement that still held fast to this prophecy and they doubled down and they said, no, it's true, there were several quoted in this article who acknowledged the falsity of their message. They told the truth. They humbled themselves and immediately apologized for leading people astray. One of them named Jeremiah Johnson said it this way. And he he said, I hope there's an opportunity for us to revisit what prophecy means in our day and to approach prophecy and, and holding prophets accountable. He said, I do believe God wants us to humble ourselves. I do believe God wants us to look inwardly. I do believe that God wants us to ask the hard questions. Now that is a person I would listen to again who was humble enough to say, I got it wrong. And I apologize to the people of God for saying something that wasn't true. And will you help hold me accountable to the truth of God in the future? We're reminded prophecies, even in this day, are not to be treated with contempt or disrespect, but we are to test them, test them all, and test them against the word of God and the way of God. Well, we can read all of this and think about the spirits that are out in the world, and we can get, like, freaked out, right? Like, oh, no, am I listening to a false spirit, and what's happening here? John is aware of this, too, as he writes, and there in verse 4, he says again, You dear children... You're from God, and you have overcome them. That means the false prophets, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. We talked about this before. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, or even considering what it means to follow Jesus Christ, the, the Spirit invites, is invited into you. When you've acknowledged Jesus as Savior, the Holy Spirit seals you forever And so we can have that confidence. Greater is the one in you, in us, than the spirits that are going out in the world. We have overcome them, not personally overcome them, but Christ himself has overcome them through his death and resurrection. And so we can face the ultimate ultimate deceiver, Satan, and say, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I'm going to listen to the way of God. I'm going to listen to the people of God. I'm going to test things against the way of God. So we say we can say today friends you and I have many spiritual enemies. When you leave this place, leave this um, online service, you go out into a world where the spirits our spiritual enemies are trying to come after you. But we don't have to be afraid of them. <laughs> Ralph said that as we sang this morning. We don't have to be afraid of them because the one who lives in us is greater than the one in the world. We have overcome. The victory is won when faith is professed and love is shared in genuine community. So these contrasts bring clarity, and this assurance brings us courage. But I would say we're naive. We fool ourselves to think that 
we're not going to be threatened by these captivating things in our time too. If we really believe there are spirits behind erroneous teachings, we're going to pay attention. We're going to test these spirits. We're going to be on our toes, so to speak, mentally and spiritually. We need the tools to test them. And so I'm going to suggest just a few tools that you can take this morning to just remind yourself what it means to test the spirits. First of all, I would suggest humility around personal opinions. We all have ways we've settled on something. We have a way of thinking about things, but our own personal opinions need to be held with humility. And that means we listen to others. We learn from others. We determine, is this vital for me to share or do I just hold it for myself? James remind us in his uh, powerful, pointed letter, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. So there is a place for humility as we walk this dividing line between truth and falsity. We may say, as far as I see the scriptures today, this is where I'm landing, and we hold it with humility. But at the same time, as we are humble around personal opinions, we need to be courageous around common convictions. What do we say, us as a church? I don't know if you've ever looked on our website to say what we believe. I mean, that's something we're going to say, this is a line in the sand. This is who we are. And goes back to the main things that John talks about here. Who is Jesus Christ? What does it mean to follow him? What is the gospel? What does it mean to be a child of God? Those are common convictions that we need to be courageous about and speak them out, even if they're not popular. Jesus himself said in ways that irritated others to the point of sending him to the cross, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's a line in the sand. We need to be courageous about those places of common conviction. Many of you may have heard the statement from the early church fathers. It says, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. That's a way we might look at things that we're not sure about. In essentials, we will be unified. And we will stand with Jesus Christ. In non-essentials, we will give each other liberty in humility. And say, I don't agree with that opinion but I'm going to honor you in it. And then in all things, charity or love. You know, one of the ways that we most live into this place of discernment of testing spirits is to be sure we are centered on the Word of God. The Word of God on the person of Jesus and the written Word of God. And so a commitment to knowing Scripture has got to be part of how we test the spirits. Now, I encourage you then, don't just read Christian authors. Wonderful, read Christian authors, but don't just read them. Don't just listen to Christian blogs. And they're very helpful. I love them. If you're not reading the scripture and studying it, it's awfully hard to know, to test what you're hearing out there, even from someone who claims to speak from God. Even from your pastor, do the same thing. Test what we say. Let's look at the scripture and find out if it's really true. Go back to where is it written? And I, uh, Scottish pastor Eric Alexander says it this way. 
The only way I know to cultivate a spirit of discernment and true wisdom in being able to tell the difference between truth and error is a concentrated commitment to the study of Scripture. And I would say, don't just study it. (laughs) Do it. Live it. (laughs) You could know it in your head and it does you no good. Know the Scripture of God because you've studied it and live it because you know it. This is what we need to be as a community, a genuine community committed to truth and love. We need to be humble about our personal opinions. We need to be courageous about our common convictions. And then we need to live into this commitment to Scripture, whatever your age is. That's why I love, as Pastor Nancy is now with our, our children, they're, they're looking at the Scripture. We do mem- uh, remember verses because we say this is the place we are going to make sure you know what truth is. It doesn't change whether you're a young adult, um, young um, student, older person. We need to continue to be in the scriptures. You know, this final invitation to genuine community is what we're called to in this book. And I would say as we go through this season, there are going to be places where we don't agree on things. I know I've had conversations with many of you right out here where we see things differently. But are there places where we go back to say where it is written, where is it written, and we commit to studying the scripture so that we know going forward, it's just not what I think. It's just not a wind of the culture, but it's what God says. It is from God, and then we will be for God. I want us to be a church that develops that kind of genuine community where people are welcomed in grace and grounded in truth. May that be so for us, Pine Lake Covenant Church. May that be so. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we know that we live in a world where there are many spiritual influences. First of all, Lord, we praise you that you've given us your Holy Spirit. And that as we remember that you are in us, that you have overcome all the things that would draw us away from the truth. And yet, Lord, we also acknowledge that there are spirits of deceit, of falsehood, that would seek to draw us away. And so, Lord, we look to you. We look to you as our source of truth, as our source of wisdom. Give us vision, Lord. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment. Commit, may we be committed to those convictions that will never change and a commitment to be in your word all the time so that we might grow in faith and wisdom as you desire. May this be so, Lord. May this be so. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.